This is an ABC podcast. This is Baby Talk Podcast with Penny Johnston. Why firstborns rule the world and lastborns want to change it. It's a catchy phrase, but how much does birth order affect the personality of your children? And is this something you should use to decide whether or not to have another child or stop at one or two? The birth of the first child is is a big event. It's a life-changing event for mum and dad. And that firstborn you bring home is is an experiment which takes you into new ground and, and it's always the groundbreaker. And, you know, 100% resources sort of go their way. You've got 100% attention. It is not a bad position to be in. The photo albums, you know, are full of firstborns and all, all the first things they do. It's a big deal. You pay for it in the being firstborn because a lot of responsibility goes your way and also a lot of firstborns are lower risk takers. There's a fair bit of pressure. Michael Gross is a parenting educator who's been working on the fascinating theory of birth order since the early 1990s. He's just revised his original book about birth order, which was written almost 20 years ago because, well, things are changing in Australian families and there are a couple of updates that are needed. So does the birth order theory still hold? Could it be influencing that tiny baby that you're holding in your arms? And does it depend whether or not you're also trying to manage an anxious toddler who's not so keen on being nudged down the pecking order for the time being at least? Michael, it's lovely to meet you. This is going to be a really interesting conversation for people who are currently in the deep dive of trying to work out whether or not to have more children or not. But tell me, when did you first become aware that the order in which a child is born into a family could be so significant? Look, it was part of my trainings back in the 1980s when in the parenting education area. So my my sort of just a very, very quick story. I was trained in a, a psychology called individual psychology or Adlerian psychology. And how it differs from, I guess, mainstream psychology is that there's two. There's Freudian and Adlerian. So Freud basically said, if you want to understand someone, you need to understand their internal drives. Alfred Adler said, if you want to understand someone, it's not their internal drives. All their behavior is about fitting into the groups. So you've got to understand the group they're in. He was the first person to really put down birth order. And basically the first group you belong to is your family. And he was the first person to sort of think up the birth order theory. And my training at Monash was as a Adlerian family counsellor. So we used to counsel families using an educational model. So it wasn't therapeutic. It was in front of an audience to sort of as almost a teaching type thing. And we would use birth order all the time. And that was our sort of entry into the story, so to speak. So I was pretty well versed in birth order theory and always looked at kids through the eyes of birth order as I was teaching and also as through parenting. And then I wrote a book about it in, in yeah. 2003. I put it all, all together into a book. And I guess that, that came out, out of, there was a book called Born to Rebel, which Frank Soloway, an American researcher and academic, he did a sort of a meta study of all the studies on birth order. And he came up with the idea that it was firstborns tend to be more leadership material. And he looked at US presidents and in different leadership positions and noted that tended to be more firstborns and those who were behind social changes tend to be later borns 
thus his title born to rebel that rang very true to me back then so i started that's when why firstborns was born reading that work and seeing how it could apply here in australia and it's got such a catchy title why firstborns rule the world and lastborns want to change it that, that's it in a nutshell we don't have to go any further well yeah well, i've actually changed it to laterborns now the second time around is now laterborns want to change it but probably is sort of cuts it in a nutshell i've, I've messed around with other titles why firstborns are neurotic and lastborns you know so we can mess around with lots of different things but i think that sort of some sums it up but of course every ever since i put it out everyone's always uh, I shouldn't say everyone, but I get lots of questions from middle children saying, what about me? Um, <laughs> that sounds like a middle child question, doesn't well, it? Yeah, well, that's right. The middle child's always going to be left out, I guess, is the, is the line for that one. Why is the birth order so important? And speaking as a firstborn, and after having had my baby, I sort of wanted to apologise to my younger sisters because I suddenly realised how much more time my mother would have spent with me than she did yeah. with them. And it does, and it happens. It's, you know, the... The birth of the first child is is a big event. It's a life-changing event for mum and dad. And that firstborn you bring home is is an experiment which takes you into new ground and, and it's always the groundbreaker. And, you know, 100% resources sort of go their way. You've got 100% attention. It is not a bad position to be in. The photo albums, you know, are full <laughs> of firstborns and all, all the first things they do. So, yeah, it's it's a big deal, but I think firstborns often... The privilege, or what I say, the perks of the firstborn are, yeah, your first, your first one, you get all the attention. You pay for it in the being firstborn because a lot of responsibility goes your way. And also a lot of firstborns are lower risk takers. There's a fair bit of pressure. You know, you've got to, the pressure to perform is pretty much on for a lot of firstborns as well. So there is a price, I think, which firstborns, firstborns pay. And I, I'm glad I'm not a firstborn. Yeah, I think, I think we pay it in teenage years, sort of going through first through to year 12 and all that sort of thing was pretty tough as I recall but as far as babies go I'm pretty sure I I got a pretty cushy ride but then and I know that you don't follow the Freudian theories but then there's that terrible moment of usurpment when the next baby comes along and all you want to do is put it in the bin. (laughs) Yeah 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 that's from a firstborn's perspective from the child's perspective then what you're bringing home is a, is a competitor. <laughs> you know, we often say, and I've seen that, my three ch- children have all had kids re- recently. It's in the last eight years. They've had seven between them, God bless them. Wowzers. And I've, I've watched them all. Yeah, they've been pretty busy. <laughs> and I've watched them all with the firstborn, secondborn, and one's had a third. And it just plays itself out. They've gone overboard with the first one and the, the second one. Well, two of my kids are learning that the second one isn't as easy as the first one. They were congratulating themselves, thinking, well, we've done a bang-up job. And the second one who's come along, and they're both sort of at about three and three. And I had a conversation with one of my daughters the other day saying, I think I found the challenging one. Uh, <laughs> and my other one is pretty similar as well. She said, yeah, well, you know, you know she's challenging. And uh, it's not just developmentally. Kids at the age of two and three can be more challenging for, for obvious reasons. But, yeah, their personalities, they like to push things quite a lot. Yeah, interesting times for them. It sure is. Does knowing any of this, and obviously your children are, fine example knowing all of this and you could have told them 15 times before dinner change anything <laughs> you're still yeah, going to have that baby point. the biology wins out oh, look, oh. it doesn't change having that as far as having a baby goes the concerns these days are they're often 
their financial concerns. There's lots of concerns about having kids and how many children you have. And one of them is a, is a financial concern these days. And that, that certainly is. But no, I don't think that, that changed them at all. And I, I think what we often ask, what do you do with all the information? And I, and I just think it's, we can become flooded with information. I mean, it's not just in parenting, it's whatever you do, there's, there's a lot of information around. And, and I just think that it's an interesting lens and it's probably an underutilised lens to help parents to understand their kids a little bit more, to make a little bit more sense of what happens as a lens to look at your kids through. Since I've been involved in parenting in the last 20 years, one of the lenses which wasn't around probably when I started was the gender lens. When I started, it was just, you know, we raise kids, we raise boys, we raise girls, and then it was, but not much difference. And then, you know, Steve Bedolf came along and said, hang on, boys are really struggling. If you want to interact with them, you've got to do it in this way and this way. And we found the same similar thing with girls. So that's an example of a lens. I guess parents have always intuitively known that you communicate with boys differently than girls. They mature differently. But now we're getting a little bit of rigour around it and people are starting to go, oh, well, okay, so that does make sense that you don't make eye contact with your son if you want to have conversations. It's easier if you start to move and play games and play alongside him and suddenly the conversations, oh, there's some... So... In some ways, birth order is quite similar. If we start to get an understanding of, of our firstborns and middles and some of the requirements, and it does, I think, add a little bit of rigour and makes sense to what we probably already intuitively know. And one of the things is, for an, an example about that, is that I often suggest to parents that you don't put excessive pressure on your firstborn child you know have you done your homework yet you need to do that etc because they often put enough pressure on themselves that notion of they like approval and etc so and if you've got a, a youngest one often you need to put some pressure on because hmm, they get away with a fair bit <laughs> and right now i bet everybody's doing exactly what i did going yeah i do know a youngest like that oh I do know an mm. oldest like that because it, it's just an, another tool. Although it's Firstborns Want to Rule the World is a sort of fun title, it, it really does have some useful information in there. There's a fair bit of rigour in it. First of all, I'd like to say there's scepticism and rightfully so. There's a lot of people are sceptical about it and it's put in the, the same basket as astrology for some people. Oh, I wouldn't, I, have, I wouldn't have gone that far. I think there's two things to, to say about that. First... Birth order works well within families and to try and extrapolate too much and say, well, just because you're born first, you know, doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be the leader for the rest of your life or anything like that. Although you can, there is interesting, there is certain occupations are full of certain birth orders. There's no doubt about that. And that's that notion of a certain personality is attracted to it. An example around that is there's more firstborns in law then, you know, they're just full of firstborns. I guess there's two issues when you, about that. Firstly, it's a high-status position, occupation, and a lot of parents will push their kids in those high-status areas. If, And the second thing is the job itself is really suits introverts, and our research shows that firstborns are more likely to be introverted or feel more comfortable with introversion than extroversion. And that's just a, you know, it's not all, but it's it's some. So obviously law often suits that. So that's an example of you can, you know, we shouldn't extrapolate too much, although you can a little bit. And the second reason why birth order can be good scepticism about it is that there have been a lot of studies and a lot of the studies are really small and insignificant. 
So the good studies go for a long, a long period of time and take big, big numbers. And there aren't that many significant studies. We've seen studies, and I've seen studies, small studies, which says that firstborns are smarter or firstborns more, are more likely to be this. And when you start to strip it back and you see they're not all that significant. Now, I guess that does the disservice some way to the real rigour which has been put into this birth order research. It is so interesting. Do, do you have advice for couples who sort of maybe like your children have the one fabulous kid and are thinking, oh, you know, is it, should we go again? They've just, they're just hanging on by their toenails with two and going, well, could it be much worse to have three? Well, I've always thought three is an odd number. Even when you have three kids around to play, one will get left out. Some advice, and this fits into what I would call the old wives' tale advice or that advice which has been handed down, but there's no real rigour to it. But I actually agree with it is that odd numbers are always tricky and three in a family probably fits because you can put three kids in the back of the car before you've got to get a new car these days. Three's always an interesting number and you'll often get one left out even with you've got kids coming out and playing. So I reckon if you're going to go from two, well, keep going to four. Having said that, I've got three and they're fantastic. Always yeah. interesting bringing them up. So, you know, whatever number you have suits you. Um, well, you, you get what you get and you don't get upset pretty much. <laughs> I think that's, a lot of the exactly time. That's exactly right. There was me and two years later there were twins, identical girl twins. And that that was an interesting three alliance, the way the things melded and fell apart mm. and joined together and alliances. Terrible arguments. Gosh, we fought like cats and dogs, but... It's quite a skill to be able to run a good fight. Look, it is. And it was Jeffrey Kruger wrote a book called The Sibling Effect. It was a great book and about 10 years ago. And, and Kruger was a American journalist. He wrote for Time magazine. He wrote a number of articles on siblings. And he had an interesting time growing up. His family's parents split up. But because of the siblings, they stayed strong. Siblings stayed together. So he wrote a terrific book called The Sibling Effect, just looking at siblings, looking at a lot of the research and how they do get on and who, 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 which one in the family is most likely to, to be the family historian. And a fascinating book. And he said, you practice on your siblings. And he's dead right. You learn so much by interacting with your siblings. You learn how to, to negotiate, how to give in. You learn in some ways how to manipulate, you know, <laughs> you learn a lot. And so I think actually if you can survive twins and twins are a force of nature, I've always thought that if you one in front of a twin or follow a twin, it'll be hard work because not only do, is there two of them, but they make twice the noise and take up twice the space. And <laughs> yeah. what kids always want in a family is, is to have space. And when you've got someone who's close to you, double that yeah. hard work, I would imagine. Having only one child myself, I see for him a lot of regret that he doesn't know how to run a serious argument with somebody who's holding a hairbrush as a weapon or it's quite a skill learning how to fight and negotiate and really come up against someone who is going to give you a hard time. Look, it is. When you've got two or three kids, well, particularly two, so we know that sibling rivalry is really loud and fierce in two-child families because 100% of your rival sits across the table every morning when you get up for <laughs> breakfast. You know, if you've got three or four, at least it spreads it out a bit. There's rivalries and there's Alliances, companions. So yeah. it's but you do, you, you do learn a lot. And I guess if you're an only child, you live in a world which is fairly easy. That is that parents tend to make life 
fairly easy for them, which which is the job. There's no one to share with. You get what you want when you want. You don't have to duck and weave in the bathroom, as you said. That's why it's not a bad idea for kids to only children to at the earliest po- the age when they feel comfortable is to to go on sleepovers and to be in other families where there are siblings and they get used to that jockeying they get used to the tension which kids will work out between themselves only children also get a lot of that at school as well so that's why child care and being in amongst other kids is, is obviously good for them because part of our job as adults whether it's parents or teachers is to socialize kids we do it all the time when we say to kids we remind them about how the behavior affects on others you know don't forget to look grandma in the eye when she says hello and don't say that in front of your, pe- your yeah. in front of your grandmother she'll be upset all of that we do it spend a lot of time socializing them helping them to fit in with others but sometimes some of that socialization just it's not a teaching thing it just occurs because kids are in amongst each other and they start to get along with each other or not and they work out their own ways the more opportunities that children do have to interact with each other without too much interference i think is good for kids and obviously only children that's really good for them as well these days we are having smaller and smaller families and mm-hmm. only children are becoming even more a majority yes an increasing yes. Yeah, no, if, they were, if they were a political party they're now part of the mainstream <laughs> they're not the greens yeah. anymore <laughs> no they're not the greens anymore it's almost a three-party system at the moment so there's a lot more only children what are some of their strengths i'll start off by saying a lot of parents have only children feel guilty if they're going to stop at one so that's often a common emotion which i've met and in some ways this shouldn't be guilty because only children if you looked at self-esteem and achievement as a measure of a well-adjusted child most parents just stop at one because they do well on those measures only children and one of the strengths about only children is they feel comfortable in their own skin they spend a lot of time on their own in their own world and they often feel comfortable going within and drawing within and keeping themselves occupied as opposed to always having someone to occupy themselves and to be around others and depend on others to occupy themselves. And in, in some ways, and I've seen it with my own kids, my son didn't have their second child till the eldest one was seven. And so I saw with his only child at the time that he, he spent a lot of time interacting with his daughter when they were around and when I, my other kids were around when they had a couple of kids, they would often keep each other occupied as well. So as a parent, you spend a little bit more time being the occupier. But I did notice as she got older, and I think this is fairly common as well, that she was able to occupy herself. And I remember saying, you know, something, don't have to play with all the time, sit back and watch. So often kids will want you to be there, but don't necessarily want you to play with you. It's the old story with, with young kids. You put a sandpit right out the backyard and they won't play it at all because they're too far away from you. They mm. want to see you. Whereas you pour a bit of sand in just outside the kitchen door and they'll be playing it like crazy because they're close to you. So sometimes with, with only children, you don't have to actually keep playing with them. You just need to be around and allow them to, to play. Does the birth order also affect you as a parent? I believe it does. Now, I'll, I'll have put a rider on this and say the research around that is not super strong, but I believe that it does impact on how you parent. We tend to parent a little bit like our birth order suggests and also our experiences. And I'll personalise that. So if I can just say I, I was the youngest in my family by 
six years. There was four in my family. I was the youngest by six years. My two older sisters were married by the time I was six. So my parents were pretty tired by the time I came along and they were distracted quite obviously. And so I was brought up with the notion of, Michael, just keep yourself busy, stay out of trouble, be home for dinner about six and jobs right. So I had a lot more freedom than I know that my sisters got. They kept telling me that. And youngest ones will often, I call them the survivors. <laughs> you tend to survive. They're often pretty street smart. They sit at the bottom of my family and they look at all the mistakes their siblings make. And firstborns tend to be a little bit more of a controller parent. They've always pretty organized and they, they, they hit parenting the same way. And my partner is very much, or my wife was, you know, firstborn of five and a little bit more protective. I know there's a gender thing there, a little bit more protective, a little bit more organized. And so we've had a lot of interesting conversations over the journey with, no, I think they should be able to go out at 13 to this, said I. Oh, no, they're not quite ready yet. Okay, well, let's just wait a bit. So, yeah, it does. I think it does impact on, on us. I get a bit sneaky sometimes when I hear parents, when, when parents talk to me and there's a couple, whenever I get two parents who are very serious about something which was probably not a serious problem, I'll often say, are you both firstborns? And nine <laughs> times out of ten, they'll go, yep, because family's led by two firstborns. Often pretty organised, everything's done well, no dramas, all works well, but can be a little bit more tense, a little bit more on edge. And I bet the lunch is made the morning before the kids go to school. It's all a bit more like clockwork. Yeah. Whereas when you've got two youngest ones, partner and got kids, I don't know how the garbage is put out, but it's a bit more relaxed family, I suggest. You're reissuing the book with some updates? Yes, came out first in 2003 and then re-released 1st of June 2021. I changed the title from Why Firstborns Rule the World and Lastborns Want to Change It to Why Firstborns Rule the World and Laterborns Want to Change It. And the biggest difference is that when I put it out in 2003, almost 20 years ago, the mean number of children was three. So more Australian families had three children than any other number. Now, two decades later, we've got the mean number is two. So more families have children of two kids in them than any other number. So in two decades, we've dropped off a child, so to speak. (laughs) And what that has done is there's a few things significant there. Firstly, we've got more firstborns as a percentage of the population. 60% of, of kids now of families are two child or less. So we've got more firstborns as a percentage of the population. Secondly, we've got the demise of the middle child the old middle child syndrome, which is not really a, a syndrome. Middle children tend to do, you know, they're, they're, they're a pretty good package, middle children. By and large, middle children are a little bit more flexible, a little bit more, they tend to have greater social circles. As I often say, you, you learn to duck and weave your elder sibling and you can boss your younger sibling around, so you learn a bit around how you negotiate relationships from your family, so that's a good start as well. What we've got now is we're seeing was the demise of this middle child. So there's only 15 to 18% of children at the moment under the age of 15 who have a child on either side of them in Australia. So that's about one in six has a child on either side. We're starting to lose them, which is a shame. And the other aspect about it is we've got a new birth order position, which is when I wrote firstborns, The first time in 2003, the second and middle were similar. So I put them in a similar chapter because often the second was the middle. 
Now we're seeing many seconds are like the youngest, so it's almost combining those positions. For many families, their second child is their youngest. They'll never call them the baby of the family, like they would a third or a fourth or a fifth, but for many families, they're the youngest. And so we start to see many examples of those kids taking up second-born characteristics, which means I'm going to be different than the first-born, and also youngest-born characteristics, which is they tend to be more change agents and change things up a bit. So firstborns always think they're rule keepers, they'll keep to rules. The parental authority is fairly important to them. And youngest ones are the opposite, they're rule breakers. And they always think that rules are for someone else, they can't be for me. Hmm. And they tend to challenge the status quo. And we see that a lot. If it's an academic family, the firstborn more likely will be be the academic. Not always, but will more likely go down that professional path. And there's a bit of a chance that the youngest one might be the tradie or do a completely different path. So that's what I mean by challenge the status quo. We're starting to see that more and more with second-borns, particularly when the two kids are of the same gender. So you've got two boys, two girls, and I'm seeing that my children's kids, I've got one with two boys and one with two girls, and both of them have said, hmm, I've got an interesting one as a second. One's a boy, one's a girl, and they've both got similar gender. So I call that the Prince Harry effect. You know, Prince <laughs> William is your classic firstborn, yep. born to rule, does all the things right. You know, he's the rule keeper. And then, you know, he's the heir, and poor old Prince Harry is the spare. He's, every time William has a child, he moves further back down away from the crown. But Harry, with all his carry-on of late, he's filling that role beautifully. He has challenged the status quo and says, I'm not going to be part of this game. I can't be like William. Now, there's obviously extending around in circumstances, but he's not like, like William, and he is changing things up a lot, a lot like this new position of second of youngest. So there are three things which have changed, and probably the fourth is, which you've touched on earlier, is that we now have more and more only children as families have shrunk as well. So I was starting to see that as a birth order position on its own. Whereas when I first wrote it, I put firstborns and onlys where it pretty much went together. It's amazing how things change. We'll look forward to catching up with you in another 20 years or so and uh, (laughs) seeing what's happened there. See what we write then. Michael Gross, parenting educator and author of some 12 parenting books. There's a link to Michael's parenting website, which is called Parenting Ideas, on the Baby Talk website, where you can also find other podcasts in the Baby Talk series, like last weeks where we spoke to Canadian professor Megan Azad about some of the amazing properties of human breast milk. There are firstly so many different components and many of them are personalized to that mother and that baby and they change over time. So breast milk changes not only as the baby grows, so a baby that's one or two weeks old needs a different composition of milk compared to a baby that's one month or two months or 12 months old and breast milk naturally changes to meet those needs. That's just one of the stories you can find on Baby Talk and you can find our podcast on iTunes. You can subscribe on the ABC Listen app and, of course, you can browse all the titles on the ABC Baby Talk website, which you can find simply by searching Baby Talk one word in your search engine. I'm Penny Johnston and I'll see you next time on Baby Talk. ABC Baby Talk is a weekly podcast on ABC Radio, wherever you get your podcasts and on the ABC Listen app. Like us on Facebook to find out as soon as a new episode is ready. Just search for ABC Baby Talk. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. 
Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.